and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With winter's arrival and dark evenings in good supply, this is the perfect time to gain your favourite gardening podcast fix. To help you through the spring, Saul and myself will keep you entertained and informed with podcasts on wide-ranging topics such as winter pruning, propagation and planting. Plus, we'll provide regular updates on important industry developments, along with lively discussions on all manner of horticultural topics. We'll aim to bring you two short 20-minute episodes a week, along with a longer bonus interview with a key green-fingered peer every month. As ever, if you have suggestions for episodes that you'd like to hear, please just tap us up on our respective Twitter accounts at Gardening Saul and at Head Gardener LC. We'd be delighted if you'd join us on this journey as we step inside the busy and exciting world of the modern Head Gardener. Hello, Lucy. I hope you're well. I know that recently we just attended uh, the Plant Network uh, Symposium on the International Year of Fruit and Vegetables that are being promoted by the FAO. Now, that was a mouthful. <laughs> well done. Uh, do you know what? Honestly, I took an Im- a, a deep breath in when you were starting that. That's impressive. Well done. But no, that was a lovely, lovely afternoon. Thank you for giving me the heads up on that. Really very much enjoyed learning about a lot of organisations and, and gardens and what they're doing in the world of fruit and veg. You know, I was in, my, I was just in my Shangri-La. It was gorgeous. It was lovely, wasn't it? it? Was it was a selection of small presentations by various people. Uh, one we all know on the podcast, Matt Oliver at Hyde Hall, who's been on the podcast, and I'm sure we're going to be able to tempt him back onto the podcast again. Um, but also representatives of all of the end, Garden Organic yes. and the Newt in Somerset, who all have mm-hmm. fantastic either old walled gardens or in the case of the Newt, very, very new um, yes. productive spaces. Very and exciting. Yeah, it was just lovely little um, snippets into what they are doing, the kind of projects they have. So, some of the things like the Garden Organic one was really interested on their seed guardians and their heritage Heritage Seed Library. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love the Heritage Seed Library. There was also Brogdale, wasn't there, talking about the um the National Fruit Collections and what and, and the expansion of that. There's quite a lot of plans for Brogdale to expand, so watch the space there, guys. And also um the Wall Kitchen Garden Network. It's it's great to hear Brogdale's expanding because a few years ago I know they were in trouble and the whole collection was mm. uh, in doubt, which would be a travesty because it is it's probably it well it is it's one of the biggest fruit collections in the world so i'm glad to hear that they have secured more funding and they're able to expand yeah yeah if you're if you're listening to us you're a professional gardener please check out plant network they're an amazing um organization that puts on a lot of different symposiums and meetings and and regular get-togethers for professional gardeners uh just to network with each other which is so important now that well, well, we're in the lockdown again and we can't really see each other. So yeah. being able to connect uh, through organisations like that is so important. I can definitely vouch for that. I have spent a lot of time in these four walls where I'm sitting and uh, to actually see my peers and friends and, and meet new people in the industry was, was a, a, a very lovely experience. So thoroughly recommended. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about something we've been doing a lot of, and actually a lot of gardeners will be doing a lot of up and down these fair aisles, and that is winter pruning. Yes. Nice sharp secateurs, pruning saw at our side. We are out there pruning away uh, on lots of 
really lovely woody things and we just wanted to talk to you about exactly what we've been doing and I think we're going to start in an area that we're especially you are quite familiar with and that's uh, our fruit trees because now is one of the key times for specific fruit trees to be pruned. It is yes yeah so we're talking as you say specifically about apples and pears and maybe quinces and medlars and those sorts of things if you have them in your garden not anything that's got a, a stone in it so not, not what we call collectively the stone fruits the peaches the gauges the plums the cherries they don't get pruned in the winter as most of you probably will know because of things like uh, silver leaf and bacterial canker infections being much more likely if you prune in the winter so they're all left till the summer months once the fruit's been picked but yeah winter pruning of apples and pears you've been doing this a lot at stone and store haven't you we have we've got two separate areas of uh mostly apple trees though we do have um mulberries pears quince and a medlar as you alluded to for winter pruning but it's mostly the apples we're concentrating on and what's really nice at stonelands is it's a job that uh i really like to get our apprentice involved in because it's a very it's a cathartic it's a zen job but it also gets Mm. your eye in to pruning techniques uh what you're looking for how to prune correctly how to maintain your tools is one of the key things i teach also while we're pruning but i like to use the apples as an example of a really good way of learning how to prune in general so lots of what we do on our fruit can be translated onto roses and other ornamentals Mm. but yeah stonelands we've got two separate areas around our uh smallish veg garden um is a really nice boundary of espalier apples they are gorgeous oh they are beautiful and we're 10 years into them from being trained now and they're really starting to put on nice thick even growth um uh the other section of apples is our orchard and those are all standard apples um uh on um semi-dwarfing stock if i remember rightly which i think is m106 oh someone's gonna please leave a comment if i've got that wrong (laughs) anyway um so that's a a, both sections have different pruning regimes so with the espaliers we're restrictive pruning which means we're taking back all the the growth down to short spurs um and then in the orchard it's more about uh getting a good shape and keeping and maintaining a nice shape on the trees and uh, taking back any new growth to a third. One of the things we have done differently this year, though, which is really nice for my apprentice, Claire, is we've actually been spur thinning the espaliers. They've actually now got to the point where the spurs are actually quite thick and there's I was quite a lot ask of it. You, yeah. Yeah, because I thought, as you say, with espaliers, once they get built up and then the spurs develop, that is the next stage on, isn't it? That the spurs then become congested and you have to thin them out, which is actually... If you if you're nervous about pruning that, yeah. in the first place, to then knowingly cut off these spurs that have taken years to build up because they do they take time. Um, it, it's a leap of faith, isn't it? So you've encouraged your apprentice Claire to, to take that leap. Well, it's quite visually um, strange because yeah, like you say, you've been developing these networks of spurs, and then suddenly you're taking one or two of them out, or you're taking a lot back, but. Mm. Explaining it to Claire and then getting her to understand was quite nice because she's actually an artist by her in her old life. Uh, and she actually got the understanding that as well as pruning being very technical and there's a lot of science behind it, there is a little bit of creativity and art to the process. Oh, and, definitely. And yeah. trying to get the 
uh, trained fruit to look a certain way. And actually, I was really glad because she really got that concept. So we're trying to get to make sure that the spurs are all sort of uh, working around each other, lots of space around the spurs, but also going in the right direction to each other and getting a nice balance to the tree is mm. quite important. And she did a cracking job. It took her a few days, probably a few uh, a day longer than it would have taken someone that's been trained in it like us. But um, she ended up with what was... A, actually looking really nice and the espaliers are now probably ready for at least another five years of just oh, taking wow. the spurs back again so i'm really pleased lovely. with that lovely i do find that pruning for me is such an enjoyable process because as you say it's part science part craft there really is a skill involved that uh, marries those two divisions together it's it's lovely because you you need to know your um, the differences, for example, say between a spur bearing apple and a tip bearing apple. You mm. need to ensure that you you understand that. And um, for example, the basic principles such as uh, ensuring that light can reach all the ripening fruits. So that's why often we do th- things as spans, or in in the case of apples and pears, as spaliers. That needs to be understood whether a tree crops along its entire length of stem, like often peaches and gauges do, or whether it produces spurs, which is what the apples and pears do, which is why we can lend them to shapes that are much more permanent, such as espaliers. That's, you know, something to get your head around. Um, and then looking at the wood and just thinking, is this an old stem? Is this a young stem? Is this a leaf bud? Is this a fruit bud? There's a lot there. And then once you've got that, your brain around that stuff, it's then creating the shape and the, and the beautiful shape that you can create out of your out of your trees. So I, I do find it a really, really exciting thing to do. And we're very similar to you, actually, listening to what you're saying about your different types of trees at Stonelands. East Stonelands, we're very, very similar. We have espalier apples all around the south wall of the kitchen garden because pears do love a lot of heat to ripen them up. Um, I've mentioned that we've got gauges there too and peaches, but obviously they won't be pruned till the summer. So we are going to be pruning out the spurs of our pears. Those pears must be at least 40 years old. They're massive established trees. So again, we're at that point where it's now. The shape's been created. We don't need to add any tears. They've done their thing. It's just getting the spurs and making sure that we maintain that productivity. So cutting out old ones, trying to build in new ones, making sure they're evenly spaced, that kind of thing. And then again, with the orchard trees, the sugar bowl, the classic sort of like standard tree on a on a leg a clear leg within a big sort of like globular yeah. uh, canopy that's what we have at uh, east donland as well and it's a case there of um again these trees must be you know three four decades old just making sure that there's no congestion the classic taking out what we call the three d's which is what every printing student learns those dead diseased and damaged shoots as a priority and then looking at the rest of the tree's shape uh, as I say, working out whether it's a, we've got a brownie, which is a tip bearer. I should also say that apples, although in the pruning books, they are divided into tip bearers or spur bearers. When you start looking at your individual varieties, and I bet you find this when you're mm. looking at your espaliers at Stonelands, each individual variety is not just a spur bearer or a tip bearer. There's lots of variations in between. Some of them massively produce lots of spurs. Other ones are a bit more shy to do so, but they're not a tip bearer. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, especially Mm. old varieties, because some of them don't even fit into the being able to form those nice, like you say, goblet-like shapes. Some of them just want to go upwards. Some of them just (laughs) want to go sideways in their growth patterns. So, Mm. And and it's interesting you said you mentioned the books. And there's loads of guides uh, if you're into YouTube. There are lots of guides on YouTube. The books are great. You'll see a lot of guides in magazines. They're just there as a sort of basic 
run through of how to do them when it comes to actually looking at your plants you need to be a little bit flexible and make mm. sure that you understand what the plant's doing before you prune too much off or you want to force something into growing in a way that's not natural to it i think you've got to read the plant and that sometimes you can do that from the off other times it does take a few years of you trying stuff experimenting seeing how the plant responds to to see whether hey, you can prune it hard and it comes back with a vengeance or was it going to sit there and sulk for a little while so so that is when when we are lucky having been on our estates for six mm. seven years now we we know the plants as little they've got personalities they've got quirks and traits which you can the whole point of pruning sometimes is actually to manipulate those traits and exploit them and and bring them out to their full potential so um so we've mentioned fruits we need to talk about lots of other woody plants that are demanding winter pruning now so I've got a few in mind. What you mentioned, aces and yeah, the classic is aces, because everyone I know always has an acer that's sort of sticking out over a path or something, and then they take their secateurs to it in summer. And I just, I just head in hands because aces will bleed quite profusely if you prune them in summer, and it can actually cause a lot of damage to them, and they can die back. So you've really got to wait till they're dormant, and that is right now. If you've got an ace and you really need to prune it, get out there and prune it now. And the ones that stolen are quite old. They're quite large as well. We're looking 10, 15 foot. So what I've been really doing, and this can be done with any sort of thing that's dormant, uh, any of the broadleaf dormant plants, is just giving them a canopy raise. So taking off some of the lower branches, just allow a little bit of light underneath, a little bit of air coming through. And it's amazing what you can do to help uh, things that are growing underneath trees. If you just raise the canopy a few feet, you can encourage more bulbs through or any of the smaller shrubs or herbaceous plants that you might plant under them. So now is a really great time to do those canopy leaves on your sort of broadleaf trees like aces. Uh, do you know what? We have a, a, a very mature uh, weeping silver pear at, uh, at the hall. And that I... I did exactly that when I first came to it. And I've been under the canopy of a few weeping pears now in my time. They do grow in a very specific way. Um, you. But Oh, I know. I, I was under them pruning. I, liked, I wasn't doing anything else, by the way. But they do have a lot of dead material. If you if you are lucky enough to renovate, a, a, it's pyrus silicifolia, isn't it? Yeah, that's Pendula. it, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you go under there with your loppers and your pruning saw, you'll find there's a massive big amount of dead material. The, the, all the live growth tends to be on top. And I found that Ceanothus, Hebe, a lot of plants grow in this way. So if you are able when you're renovating, pruning any plant, which often is a winter task, you can get underneath there. You need to wear your goggles, you need to wear kneelers, you need to ensure that you're safe. Um, but taking out that dead wood and in that in that process it will lift up the canopy because the dead wood is the is produced when the tree is quite young and as it grows it produces new growth on top so you're naturally lifting the canopy so you get out all that dead timber you then create that lovely as you say an arching habit you can you can accentuate that plant's habit that's to me again is the the secret to a good prune is to is to not fight too much with what the plant naturally wants to do i think that the pear has got a lovely arching growth and now i've created this wonderful in this particular pear at the hall this wonderful little kind of hideaway there's all ivy carpeted underneath it and now oh, you lovely. can actually stand up in there there's like this massive big area that's completely clear and above your head is the canopy but beneath is just this wonderful area of ivy it's very secluded and secret i think there's someone needs to put a bench there and cut a little peephole they could <laughs> they could lose hours under that weeping pear and nobody would know they were there 
It's not another fairy garden, is it? This is this is two <laughs> this is two podcasts in a row now. East Donlands <laughs> turning into this magical, mystical fantasy land. I have a feeling. Well, you know, d- doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> um, one of the things I will remark on then is if you're doing any of that sort of major pruning on your broadleaf trees or anything. Mm-hmm. just occasionally stand back from the tree because you can get quite gung-ho uh, and that's great if you're trying to get a, a lot done but you can sometimes lose track of the shape of the tree itself when you're within it or you're close to the tree so try and stand back at, usually from a vantage point where you would usually look at either the tree or the border or the gardenscape that you're trying to work on. But just take a, you know, every 15 minutes, just stand back and make sure that you've not gone either too far or you've gone far enough. It it can often be that. Lots of people are quite nervous when they prune and they take little snippet bits off. The the worst thing you can do is just take as much as you think that means that you've either opened up a path or you've opened a bit. And then in the end, what you tend to do is just box off a side and you tend to have this flat side to a tree or shrub and it just looks really silly. Sometimes it's almost best to just prune a little bit more back to allow the the shrub or the tree to grow back in a more natural way but you can see that if you just stand back from whatever Mm. you're doing and just take a good look at the overall shape and you know identify where you're going to go in next with your secateurs or your pruning saw that's so important it's so important to to work with the shape of the plant and that's as you say keep stepping back i often find that when i'm underneath there the kind of it ever gets so congested with all this old timber that i then grab three or four stems together pull them out gently to get them onto the lawn for example and that's when you can then stand and have a look Do you think we've got five or so minutes left? Do you think we can squeeze roses and clematis into that? I think we can. I just quickly wanted to add, if you are doing your trees and shrubs, you want to avoid anything that is early flowering. So your classics are your magnolia, rhododendron, Mm. camellias. All the new flowers are just starting to swell right now. And if you go in and start chopping all of that back, you're going to lose a lot of flower in, 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 uh, in the process. But... Once they have flowered, so late spring, early summer, that's when you can go and prune them. So uh, if you're tempted to go and prune a magnolia now, just hold back, wait till May, and then you should be able to get away with it a bit better. Well, that could lead us nicely into clematis because mm. with clematis, there's, there's, they're a massive, massive group of plants. They're not just climbers, there's herbaceous forms, there's all, all manner of mm. clematis. And they're such a popular plant with, with home gardeners and big estates alike. But I noticed, I was walking around the hall on Friday because I do just check out what jobs are need to be done as a priority. Now, the classic month for pruning clematis is normally February, but oh my goodness, ours are rumping into growth Yeah, already. same here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you do find that if you try to prune a clematis and it's already put on extension growth, that growth, where the joints are, um, or the, the growth might be whippy, where it's coming out of the plant, it can be so brittle and so easily snapped. So if you have any clematis now, I would say go outside, have a look at them. You've got to work out whether they're in group one, two or three. And that goes back to what you were saying about the early flowering uh, trees like the magnolias and the rhodos. Uh, you get a lot of early flowering clematis. They're group one. So they need to be very lightly pruned so that you don't prune off the buds that will then carry the, the flowers. Group three clematis, like your viticellas, there's, there's, oh, there's loads of them. They yeah, can be the cut down really quite hard. Usually, yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, they, if, if you don't know what group your clematis is, the benchmark is if it flowers July onwards through to September, it's a group three. If it flowers really early in the first half of the year through up till May, June, it's a group one. There's also the group twos. We'll let you read up about those and ask us any questions because 
probably haven't got time to talk about those and roses today, would you suggest? Yeah, yeah. And, and group twos can be a little bit of a in-betweeny kind of thing. So yeah, take take a look. There are some great guides actually on the on the internet and in the books again about groups one to three. But uh, mm. the the main thing is that you tend you 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 prune after flowering. That's sort of the that's the the, the key thing. So you aren't like you said taking the flower out. Mm. So roses. I know that you've got some lovely roses at Stonehenge oh, Dunland Hall. We have got a yeah. phenomenal amount of roses. I don't. I did try and tally up how many we'd got. Um, one year and even just the variety numbers I think we've got about 60 different varieties of roses at the hall it's, it's amazing I, I have so enjoyed uh, taking those roses on and, and and training them and getting them into the shapes that, that I think are really pleasing so we've got lots of wall trained climbers at the hall we have been pruning those from December through January and we would we'd like to get them all done by February that really for me that's much more of a, a, a real winter task lots of people want to prune their roses in March I, I don't do that we prune ours really early it's job done there's a lot more to be done in the spring and the regrowth that you get from the pruning cuts is very hardy and stocky it's not soft and sappy so if there's a frost it doesn't get knocked back that's the simple reason why we do it then but climbers you want to be tying in lots of permanent shoots it's upwards and then arching over so like a beautiful fan and then the side shoots that come off those get spur pruned back that's the main job being done now um some spur pruned back to really little short stubs about maybe one or two inches max long so it's it's quite a hard prune with the the climbers and then again hybrid teas are pruned back really very hard because you want to kick them up the pants to get some <laughs> massive big flowers that's yeah, the whole absolutely. point with hybrid teas so i'm sorry i know we, we're trying to shoehorn roses into a short space but i know saul you have some ideas on rose pruning as well yeah well we've got modern bushes and um they get pruned a bit like hybrid teas but a bit further back but actually this year uh, is their 10th year being in the garden and they've got a bit twiggy so we're actually going to be absolutely hammering them this year with a pair of loppers right back to their main stems almost a couple of inches off the ground just to encourage a new framework to come through and that may seem really brutal but you actually get really good regrowth through the year and actually good flower and you do restart that frame network if you don't and I say I'd let them go for another 10 years you'd slowly see a diminishing in the flowering power so it's really worth every five maybe ten years just assessing your plants and if they're getting a little less floriferous than they were in years past it's really worth hammering them back and, and retraining the frame the other thing that i've been doing recently is um trying a sort of an well it's not a new type of rose training but it's a rose train that was eulogized by a head gardener called jenny barnes who's the head gardener of a gun um at upton wold and she was in garns illustrated either last year or the year before and she has this creative way of um training roses into sort of um how would you describe sculptural like a spiral like a spiral yes spirals and baskets and all kinds of taking very long stems that you might actually prune back and tying them down to the ground in little bows and 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 all kinds of things so uh for our rosa banksii and a few of our more vigorous rambling roses i've been trying that and i've been getting really really good results in terms of flowering and also keeping them in a space uh, without them becoming too over yeah, they turn into bird's nests they turn you know lots of stems everywhere so i highly recommend if you 
look it up on the internet. Um, like I say, Jenny Barnes at Upton uh, Wold. Uh, there's some really good pictures of the kind of rose training she's been doing. Yeah, that does sound really interesting. I think we do have to draw it to a close there just because of the time. But if you want to hear any more about winter pruning from Saul or myself, go back way back when to episode three, when we first started out. There's some advice there on winter pruning. Or if you've got any questions, please do just tap us up on Twitter and we'll be very happy to help you out. That concludes today's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next instalment. Any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter is a natural time in the gardening calendar for reflection, adjustment and musing over new plans for warmer seasons ahead. So Lucy and I hope to inspire and educate with our thoughts. We'll also bring you interviews with some of the very best personalities our industry has to offer. We aim to dispel the myth that gardens, and therefore gardeners, slumber in winter. We promise that in this profession nothing could be further from the truth. As two enthusiastic and passionate head gardeners, winter is a busy season in our calendar. So let us help you keep one step ahead in this most marvellous and rewarding of careers. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye!